Boss! 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 Welcome into At the Buzzer, which is our Ralph Report podcast um, for all of your CU Athletics news, notes, and sometimes opinions. Um, we are joined today with a very special guest. You just have one half of our co-hosts. Uh, it's me, Jack Barsh, hosting, and then we have a improvement over the other half of our podcast. Instead of our normal Sam, we have a special guest, Hithoday Almond, coming in um, from the Oregon side of things to talk to us about this upcoming Oregon CU. I'll just call it a bloodbath at the top here. Um, and more importantly, just some some musings at the end, hopefully, about where CU can go from here um, to fix the offense it's going to cause said bloodbath. So um, all that being said, welcome Hitha Day. Uh, thanks. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. I will do my best to live up to that billing. <laughs> uh, you, hopefully this podcast is pretty easy for you you'll sit back and say yep Oregon's better at that than CU um, <laughs> I'll do that for five minutes and then get to a prediction but uh, for on my side it's, it's going to be more painful and this is going to be very helpful for me as a I guess a reflective journey towards improvement um, for CU and me as a fan so <laughs> should be a fun 30 minutes I don't know kind of a weird prompt but I, I think it'll be worth it yeah <laughs> So let's start with the less weird stuff. Let's start with the normal game ahead of us on Saturday. I believe it's at, is it one thirty or is it a noon game? Early afternoon, I think. Uh, uh, I've but, got 12.30 Pacific. Uh, 12, yeah, one thirty. Okay, perfect. Um, and that's going to be Colorado at Oregon on the road. Uh, second week in a row. Oregon, this is on Fox proper, I think, the mothership. Um mm-hmm. So at least CU gets to be on national television. And I, I think Oregon opened up as a 28-point favorite in this one. Um, I can't imagine it settled any lower or higher than that for right now. But that is generally what I'm seeing here. And I think the over-under is also in the mid-40s for total points. Um, so just a bit of what Vegas thinks about this game. Looking ahead, Oregon 6-1 on the year so far and they had – what I still think to be the best win of the year by any team so far um, in a thrashing of Ohio state in the first week. Um, And since then it's been a little rocky with, with mostly wins coming out. And before we look at the game specifically, I just want to get your thoughts. um, You know, what do you think of Oregon so far? Seven weeks in, what do you like? What do you not like? Uh, Well, so I do film study on, everybody. Um, and I, I use a pretty, you know, basic metric, um, for, for determining fundamental strength. Um, I, it goes back to Tom, Tom I read of one of Tom Osborne, the longtime Nebraska coaches. Uh, so maybe, you know, your, your listeners will not appreciate Overrated. that, but, uh, he wrote actually a number of books and, uh, one of them, uh, laid out his, um, his own like evaluation system for his own players. And when he was watching, you know, opponent teams in terms of like what counts as a successful play, mm-hmm. like how you evaluate a player, you know, uh, you know, on, on each play, there's 11 dudes that you have to evaluate or 22 if you're doing both teams. Uh, and I've been using his system for, a, you know, a decade now. Um, and, and just use a very simple success rate. Like did, you know, when you're on offense, did you gain enough yardage to stay ahead of the chains or, or, uh, or didn't you and in defense, you know, the other way, did you stop the offense from doing that? Um, and the, the thing that is 
you know, so therefore I'm, you know, able to calculate both, you know, rushing and passing offense, rushing and passing defense, you know, what their success rates are for all four quadrants of football. And then the nice thing about doing film study is that I'm not reliant on the, you know, official box score. I'm, I'm, you know, personally verifying it, which is really useful because let me tell you, the official box score and play-by-play is frequently wrong. It's like (laughs) 10 to 15% of the time. It's just crazy. Like how many plays are just like missing or miscategorized or, you know, it also lets you pick out stuff like the difference between a downfield pass and a screen pass or like when a quarterback is scrambling versus when it's a designed run, you know, that sort of stuff. So, Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, it's like my own personal advanced stats system that's based on better uh, data gathering. All of that um, is to say that, you know, on the metrics of like fundamental strength, you know, that comes out, Oregon is ahead of the rest of the Pac-12, but doesn't like but frequently doesn't show it, you know, like that, the, the, if I'm making sense here that like yeah. their success rates and what they want to do in all four quadrants of football have been better. And as I'm looking at their upcoming schedule, you know, will be better than, you know, all the opponents on their schedule. Um, Ohio state was kind of a push. They were better in two aspects and worse in two aspects, but you know, everybody else. And so then the question is like, so why are they in all these close games, you know? And like, Mm -hmm. why are they causing me to pull my hair out? Like every, (laughs) you know, every time. Um, And there's two things that are going on. Um, One is that uh, the Oregon's inside linebacker core is just injured to heck. Like it's, they, um, they had a departure at the end, uh, at the beginning of the year transfer uh, Isaac Slayton to Atia, who is a starter for two years. Uh, He sort of, it seemed like he felt like pushed out by all the talent that was coming up. Um, But then all that talent got injured. So Justin Flo, who's a five-star seems to be out for the Mm -hmm. season. Um, Drew Mathis and, uh, and, and, um, uh, uh, Jackson LaDuke are both out uh, for the season and uh, Noah Sewell's still there. You know, he's a five-star and very good, but like they've been playing this like rotation of um, a, a senior walk-on Nate Hayekalani um, and uh, a true freshman Keith Brown, who is a four-star, but he's a freshman. And, uh, and then another true freshman, Jeffrey Bossa, who's not even a linebacker. He's a converted safety. Um, so it's like, they're in a lot of games like against teams like um, Arizona and Cal, like two teams that Colorado has recently played in, 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 as I'm sure, you know, like from watching them that like those teams love to run the ball and like in an efficiency way, you know, like, mm-hmm. like just pound, pound, pound. And the thing about having, you know, your, your linebackers, you know, the, those line, you know, the replacement linebackers, they're not terrible or anything. I would still take Oregon's inside linebacker core over like maybe half of the pack. To be perfectly mm-hmm. honest. Uh, but like, <laughs> But like, first of all, I would sure love Nate Landman to be, you know, <laughs> to be next to Noah Sewell, um, a healthy mm-hmm. Nate Landman. I, I understand that he's got another injury problem. Um, but like, you know, what happens is a run that would normally go for like two, three yards and just be stopped. And that's not good enough is now going for like four or five yards. You know, like they're allowing a couple of extra yards every run mm-hmm. when it's going up against the backups. And with teams like that, they've been playing like. Cal and Arizona and UCLA teams that love to run the ball. Like that's enough for them to grind out these methodical drives that push all the way down the field. That that's the first thing that you're seeing is like the opponent's just holding the ball and trying and playing keep away from Oregon. Um, that's factor number one. Factor number two is Anthony Brown is the most maddening quarterback in the world. Like <laughs> I, it's just like incredibly infuriating um, because like he's, I'll give you a number, you know, so UCLA, Oregon just played this game against UCLA. Um, and 
And like I said, you know, doing film study, one of the things I'm able to do is discriminate between screen passes and downfield passes. Mm -hmm. And Oregon was throwing a ton of screen passes against UCLA, which they should, because UCLA is terrible at defending screen. I know that Colorado has got a game against UCLA coming up here in a Mm -hmm. a week or two. Like I highly recommend, since I know Jack, that you have the ear of the coaching staff, like throw (laughs) a million screens. UCLA cannot defend them. Like the structure of their defense just can't handle them. Um, So screen passes are like near automatic completion, right? Because it's an easy throw. So, but if, if you take those out and just look at Anthony Brown and downfield passing, he's got 30, of them in in meaningful play and 15 of them are nfl throws like they're they're he's really you know it really good throw um and a difficult throw not like an easy you know gimme kind of throw like he's got to read the defense and make an accurate pass and you get you know the night the 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 proper mix of like arc and zip like it's great and then the other 15 I mean, some of them aren't his fault. Like one of them, there's a drop and, you know, the blitz gets home at one point, but like most of them are just like, Anthony, what the hell are you doing? You know, like that, that's a mistake that would get like a pop Warner sixth grader pulled, you know, mm-hmm. and there's no middle ground with this guy. Like there's no, oh, that was a five yard pass. You could have gotten more, but whatever, you know, no, it's none of that. It's either an NFL throw or like your jaws on the floor. Like, what are you doing, dude? Um, uh, you know, so that's the thing, you know, he's this totally maddening thing. Now there's, there's another factor, which I should also bring up about Anthony Brown, um, that sort of confuses all of the data, which is that, uh, as you mentioned, Oregon played Ohio state and Columbus. And I think everybody who's watching that sort of came away with an appreciation of Anthony Brown as like this veteran dude who's like, you know, he was unflappable in the pocket and he's really operating the offense correctly. And yeah, there's some accuracy problems, but like, you know, he, you know, the, he's manipulating the pocket and scrambling where appropriate and running and, and it's Joe Moorhead's RPO offense. He's got to make a bunch of yeah. reads, you know, and like, I think everybody in the country who was watching that game was like, damn, Anthony Brown's operating his offense really well. And, and then this is I, I I have a theory about this. He takes a hit in the next week against Stony Brook. He takes a, a hit at, towards the end of the first half, and when he's walking back to the sideline from it, he seems rattled. Um, and then he sits out the entire second half of that game, and then the next week is Arizona, and the next week is Stanford. And in those two games, he's suddenly not the Ohio State version of himself. Like he's not sending guys into motion before the play. Like he's making bad RPO reads, not just the passing stuff that I've already talked about. I mean, like the operating, the offense stuff, like scrambling the wrong direction into pressure. And look, I don't want to speculate about his health or anything like that's unethical, but like, it seems clear that he was, you know, suffering some lingering effects from that. Yeah. Now the happy news is that having watched him in the last two weeks, you know, against week six, against Cal week seven, against UCLA, he appears to be over that. Like he's back to his Ohio state self in terms of the, the operating the offense, still inaccurate passer, but in terms of operating the offense and doing the Joe Moorhead stuff, like, yeah, no, he's, he's back to, you know, to being good again. So like, that's the other thing that like, complicates the record is you always have an inaccurate passer, but a couple of weeks, you also had a dude who couldn't operate the offense, but that appears to be over now, cross your fingers, knock on wood. Uh, and so, you know, what happens, that means that you've got like, at this point, like a 75% of a good quarterback and like (laughs) 
75% of a good quarterback on a team that's filled with talent is how you get a six and one team that's right. in the top 10 that beat Colum- uh, Ohio state and Columbus. And yet every game is a heart stopper and it makes me pull my hair out. Uh, that was a long answer, but you know, that's, uh, I think that those are the, the two big factors that, that have led Oregon where they're at. Well, I mean, good, yeah, good summary overall. And I think that's a great, I, I don't know. I, I liked Anthony Brown when he's coming out of Boston College. I really wanted to see you then led by Mel Tucker to take a run at him. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You watch him enough time. And like you mentioned, I think he's an average college quarterback. Um, if you measure by median instead of mean, right? If you take mm-hmm. the highest and lowest and chop down, like, okay, then he's probably pretty normal. But he's not going to give you those average games. He's just average because he has a crazy good throw and then will throw – when he's trying to ice the game against UCLA, just throw an interception to double coverage. Yeah. That was, uh, you know, no, it's crazy. Insane. And um, I mean, if, the, if this game goes awry for Oregon, I get, you know, I'm not guaranteeing that it will go awry, but I'm saying if it does, I guarantee you that the reason why is like, he throws a string of like four picks. Um, yeah. You know, the problem with throwing four picks is it requires a team on the other end to catch them. Um, and that's, <laughs> right. it's, that's not something that the CU defense does well. Um, though it does a bunch of other things in the position, I think that is put in, it does a bunch of other things pretty well. Um, so looking at Oregon, I think that's look going into this game. I was thinking the same thing. I don't know that the talent everywhere is definitely a step up than almost every other team CU's played this year. Um, except for maybe A&M, but even then that was a, a pretty broken A&M team that CU beat or CU played, excuse me, the second week of the year. Um, and, and that's a, a bad thing to start from as a talent deficit, but, I, I mean, I'll just say it outright. I don't think CU does have a chance in this game, especially with what we're seeing so far um, this week and this year. This is a, a bad week, I would say, for the offensive line to make a coaching change, given that uh, Oregon seems to have a full-strength Kayvon Thibodeau back, um, who is going to just ruin whoever the right tackle is for CU. So well, I've been seeing a rotation a, a bit. Like I kind of don't understand – CU's offensive line decisions at all this year. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, so anyway, I'll, I'll start off by saying that to anyone who's listening. Um, I don't, I'm not going to say like, here's how CU can win this game. I think if somehow barring a miracle, like Brendan Lewis calls his own plays and just hits on every go route or something, maybe. Um, but CU's offense is too stagnant and CU's defense is, will be okay, but not uh, enough, I think, for CU to get close. And I think the lines reflect that. So let's get that drama out of the way and just look at where these teams are right now. Um, yeah, I, CU's offensive line has been a rotation this year, um, not necessarily by injury, just by, I guess, trying to find the, quote, best five guys. The person doing those rotations is has been fired at noon. Yeah. He was fired on Monday. Yeah. So it's a mess up front for sure. <laughs> it's and a mess everyone offense. I, I, I'm not sure what your opinion is, um, but uh, you know what I picked up. Like, I kind of think it's well. Let's set aside the play calling and the, the you know the scheme and the playbook because um, I don't know, man. Um, it, it's I don't know. I, I feel like scheme is downstream of talent. Like not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, like what your talent is limits and constrains and informs what your scheme can be and ought to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, uh, you know, who knows what would happen if, if, if the offensive line were magic, let's say that Mitch Rodriguez were not just, you know, not doing a good job, but was at like a spy, like he was a Nebraska <laughs> double agent. Okay. And before every game, he was like sneaking into the locker room, putting like 
like cayenne pepper in their jock straps of the offensive line mm-hmm. so that they actively played bad. And so now that he's been <laughs> removed, all of a sudden Colorado will, their offensive line will burst back in, into their 2020 form and be, you know, world beaters yeah. again. Like, like if that happens, I still think that Colorado has a bottleneck because I don't, I'm not in love with the scheme. I'm not in love with Shiverini as a play caller. Um, but it would like, you're not going to find that out until the offensive line is fixed. That's my attitude. What's, what's your attitude about that, Jack? Um, harsher, I guess. So <laughs> I, I, um, I think you're right. I, I, I mean, this season, the offense was, was kind of screwed from the jump here. Um, and the Northern Colorado game showed glimpses of that at the very beginning. And definitely the offensive line is a part of that. Um, it's it's a strange port part we're at in the offense right now, just because, like you said, from last year, we know the offensive line has personnel that can get push. Um, the one person that left is Will Sherman, who left for the NFL. And four of the starters are back. The rest of the depth is back. And they added a transfer in Max Ray from Ohio State uh, that was pretty good in relief for Ohio State last year. He started. Yeah, I had to do Penn film State. study on that game because Oregon played Ohio State. And like, right. yeah, I was watching Max Ray and thinking like, yeah, this guy's a good pickup for Colorado. Yeah, um, and, and none of that shows, right? So It's crazy. Uh, up front, that's insane. Yeah, and it's, it's a complete regression across the board. I don't quite know what that is. There's been some things coming out about Rodriguez, um, not like – salacious things but you know things that were kind of hokey and funny when he was when he was well liked that was like him trying to quote uncoach the iowa stuff that noah fenske brought in um when he was a transfer or the ohio state stuff that max ray brought in then i looking back on you're like oh man we had the signs all along um but past that i i also will say that that coach shiverini is not a good offensive coordinator i think i'm, I'm fine standing behind those words um we might, it looks maybe worse than it would with a bad offensive line, but I don't think there's anything that you've seen this year or in his prior years when he was OC or co-OC that makes me think um, he can turn it around or suddenly with a better offensive line, there's something to be had there. Um, I think all the evidence points to without LaVisca Chenault, Darren Shiverini cannot score points. And that's something we don't have. Um, something CU does not have is LaVisca Chenault. So in the end, what the is way his status? What, what, his little brother's status for this game? He's reinstated. He's he's gonna, I think, play for the Oregon game. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this will be the fatalistic way of answered all the questions for the past two weeks that the people put on for CU. I I will say it doesn't matter really what who the wide receivers are, or you know, it really doesn't matter who you put out there. Brendan Lewis or Drew Carter, though Brendan Lewis got got pulled at the end of the last game. It, it, the thing is so broken at this point on offense. It I have no faith that any personnel will be treated with uh, respect from this coaching staff. So, Levante Chenault is is healthy and will play for this game. He's reinstated, but um, you know I don't expect him to catch more than a few passes. Nor do I expect anyone to catch more than a few passes. Well, I, I mean, I guess the reason why, in my opinion, it's you know offensive line comes first is because there's no such thing as a successful offense without a successful offensive line. Like it's, you, you know, I don't I don't know of a single offensive coordinator who can, you know, because you know it's the one thing that happens on every play, right? And I don't think that Brendan Lewis is a bad quarterback. Like you know, some of those throws that he was making to Brendan Rice, like I mean, they don't happen very often. But it's like, it's not like he's got a noodle arm. 
you know, and it's not like he doesn't know how to run and it's not like he did, you know, I, I feel like he doesn't like completely panic under pressure. Um, you know, it's just the pressure often is showing up so fast. There's nothing you can do. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, I think the running backs are pretty good. Jerk Broussard is the defending, you know, Pac-12 player of the year for God's sakes. Like I, I really don't, you know, yes, the talent could be better, you know, across the board. Like that, that's, you know, true just about, you know, of every team except for Alabama, probably. Um, but like, I, I definitely think, you know, the quarterback and the skill players are, are good enough to win. Um, yeah, for Colorado. There. yeah. And, and well, I guess th- there's, there's a, there is a, th- and so w- whether, you know, I don't know the offensive line of the, the offensive coordinator is sort of a chicken and the egg thing. I think the offensive line comes first, but like, I, hell you're probably right. Like even if their offensive line suddenly became, you know, tremendous, they would still have like a handicap of like a mid nineties offense that, that Chivarini trying to mm-hmm. call. Um, but like, there is a third thing, which is I don't love Colorado's tight end situation. And like, and in this scheme, that's bad news because the scheme is, you know, they're putting two, three tight ends on the field, at like yeah. almost every down. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, again, it's bizarre because they were running something similar in 2020 and it took the Pac-12 by storm because, you know, they were power running every, you know, play and it was great. And I loved watching the, the tight ends block, but like, you know, I, I just like the talent's just sort of not there. And you know what I mean? Like, like I'm watching Pell, for example, mm-hmm. you know, it, you know, he's a freshman who weighs like, I don't know. He's listed like 235. I think that's not yep. accurate. It's just like the, that poor kid, you know, like he needs to be about 50 pounds heavier to do what this offense is asking him to do. You know what I mean? Um, and like, that's potentially something that like a different coordinate, like, you know, there's, hell there are a couple of offenses in the pac 12 that don't even use tight ends you know but like this one definitely does and that's probably constitutes a schematic mistake or a schematic misread of their talent situation it is my opinion what do you think about that jack <clears throat> there's a fundamental oh i just said fundamental there's not a fundamental there's a fundamental disconnect uh between i think what Darrell wants to do on offense which is some of that tight end power running west coast offense stuff that he ran at ucla versus what Chivarini is comfortable calling on offense, which is more of a spread them out, um, quick pass, hurry up type of play based on what we've seen him call versus what the personnel requires us to do, which is, I would assume, pretty much a lot of QB runs, pretty simple plays. Um, I don't even know if we could do hurry up, but I think there's a basically three levels of obscurity between like, the, the orders from the top. And then once by the time you get to Brendan Lewis, who Ralph report is a pro Brendan Lewis podcast and has been since the off season, we still are. Um, I, once you get to that point, there's, I, there's so many mixed signals and weird things that that freshman quarterback then has to process and try to run those plays. And it's just impossible to see anything working and we haven't seen anything working. So that's pretty much what I think is, is what you said was on the money. I think there's a weird, thing of like there's three different round holes that they're trying to fit the square peg of a roster through and it's not even going through the first one and it's like it in at, at the end what you see is constant three and outs and negative drives and this offensive line can't block and their penalties can go backwards and from there you're trying to pass the second and 14 with these long developing route trees but the offensive line still can't block so by the end of it you get sacked and then it's third and 20 
halfback draw and you punt, you know, it's just like, it's, it's a complete mess um, entirely. And that's what you're seeing. I mean, CU's last in the country in points per game. They Cal allows it's the third down conversion is the number that like, you know, I, I like I said, you know, I, I run out the stats and I exclude garbage time. And if, and like, and excluding garbage time, their third down conversion rate is like 26%. Like, it's just like, you're not, you like if, if your offense is not particularly explosive, which is probably not going to be under Schiaparini, then you have to be methodical and convert third downs. Yeah. And like the opposite of that is happening. Well, and it, I mean, yeah. So here's another, here's a quick little story taste, I guess. The, the longest play, I believe, CU's run from scrimmage is a 70 yard catch and run from Brady Russell, where he was mm-hmm. tackled at the one yard line. And uh, he was interviewed after the game. This was against USC. And Brady Russell said after the game that he wasn't even supposed to go out for a route that play. He just blocked his guy, saw that no one was on him. And Brendan Lewis was running for his life. So he just leaked out and happened to be wide open. And if that's not emblematic of, of what this offense is right now, of just the players being like, I don't know, I guess I'll go out. And that being the <laughs> best play of the year, you know, I don't know what is. It's it's truly remarkable, I guess, to me. What, what frustrates me the most is these players, I think, if they were put in a better position, would be doing much better. I, I mean, we know Jarek Broussard is a good Pac-12 running back. We know that to be true. We know that there's there's talent on the offensive line and we know that there's talent out out wide and yet it's just it's being they're being failed by the people that are paid to help them and that's what's so frustrating to me it's not a talent issue like it was during mcintyre for you know so many years it's a complete coaching issue and it's just infuriating to watch well i mean i agree that it seems like there's it seems like there's a lack of like strategic consciousness or like strategic awareness to like know you know, the, the, the chess game aspect of it, the like, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm bad at. This is what the opponent is good at and what the opponent is bad at. How do I make that those mm-hmm. puzzle pieces fit together to, uh, to, to maximize my chances of winning the game. And like, that's, you know, when I'm watching Colorado's games, like I'm not seeing that sort of like awareness that you need to be doing that. I see like, well, these are the plays that we run. So we're going to run those plays, you know, and it's like, uh, um, and like <laughs> if you're good at the, like, I think that's frankly, I think that's what we saw in 2020 was that they had, you know, regardless of what the mystery of the offensive line was, the offensive line was working right. and he had a quarterback who like with vigor threw himself into quarterback power runs mm-hmm. and like, you could be kind of a meathead. I'm, I'm not trying to like disparage Colorado at all here, but like, if they were a meathead offense in 2020, it didn't matter that they were meathead because it was working, but when it's not working and you lack the strategic consciousness to like change and adapt and figure out what you're good at and, Mm -hmm. and what, you know, how you can pick that lock, like then, yeah, that's, you get the bottom scoring output. Like, (laughs) yeah. So let's, uh, this would be my terrible segue, but let's, talk about someone who I think is very good at adapting to the personnel while still having a system, which is Joe Moorhead. Um, we, we talked about Anthony Brown a little bit, and I know Travis Dye is, is still there back there for Oregon. Um, but, you know, I, I guess past that, you lose Penny Sewell, and I think the offensive line is still pretty good to dominant. Is that a 
fair characters. The offensive line has been a, like it's crazy how much Oregon is doing some really weird stuff at offensive line. They are cross training dudes at multiple positions. Mm-hmm. They are for the last two years going back to 2020. They have been rotating their offensive line configuration every two drives on like in like a planned mm-hmm. manner. Like it's like there's a clear pattern and like I published articles about like here's what the pattern is. Like here's they have four different configurations and they swap them out like. It, against UCLA, they were playing a the longtime left guard at left tackle and a backup left tackle at left guard <laughs> just for I don't like for funsies, I guess. Like, I don't <laughs> you know, they, they're taking injuries. And uh, I mean, I guess it is like it seems crazy to me because no other team does this. And like my only since I'm not an offensive line coach, my only context for what constitutes, uh, you know, sane behavior and insane behavior is what everybody else does. And so right. since they're doing something different, I interpret it as insane. On the other hand, I've just watched them deal with three different offensive line injuries that would have destroyed any other team and they're you know you just described them somewhere between pretty good and dominant and i sort of agree like uh like it's bonkers what they're doing um Mm. i i i like i said i'm not an offensive line coach i don't understand what they're doing or why it should work but it appears to and so there and because i also can't solve colorado's offensive line question i'm just gonna shut up and say i'm not an expert and i don't know why but uh (laughs) you know yeah no it's definitely I mean, it was interesting. Like I, I, when I wrote my um, article after the Cal game, I, I put the because because Colorado just played Cal. That's why mm-hmm. they're sort of my touchstone um, uh, for this uh, point. Mm-hmm. Um, which is that like I watched the Cal running game, which as I'm sure you know, you know, it's like this efficiency, you know, pound it, you yeah. know, kind of running game. And like they, <clears throat> there's there's really no. It, there's really no elegance to it. Like I'm not, I'm not referring to like power running because power running, you know, power blocking for the runs as I'm sure all Colorado fans appreciated when they were watching them do it so successfully in 2020, like is very elegant. It's like, this guy has to block that guy and he comes around and, mm-hmm. you know, he's pulling that when this dude's trapping all that guy, you like, I'm not, I'm not saying um, it, it, it's, you know, it's done like power equals dumb. Not my point. Uh, my point is that like, Cal was getting successes by just having big fat guys, you know, mash forward, like, right. you know, and, and when they tried to do the more complex stuff, like they just couldn't do it. Like they're just like the, the talent wasn't there for them to do it. And so all Cal could ever get was like five yard runs. Like they weren't getting explosive runs, not against Oregon, really anybody. Um, uh, and then I would put the film next to, you know, Oregon's, you know, tape. And I, I promise I'm not trying to like puff up Oregon or, or be a homer here, but it's like this, the contrast is very stark of like, oh, this is elegant offensive line blocking. Like that guy knows what he's supposed to be doing. And, um, and it's just, I mean, it's a treat to watch as a film reviewer, to, like to, to see these, like, you know, these elegant run plays, um, mm-hmm. that spring the back for, you know, so it's like Travis Dye. Yeah. I think he's a pretty good back. He's a good back in the same way that Jarek Broussard is a good back. I'm not trying to say that there's the same guys that Travis Dye got right. robbed or anything. I, I'm saying that like Jarek Broussard does not strike me as a, as a meathead running back who's smashing his head into the offensive line, butts and pushing forward for five yards. Right. He was getting what he was getting in 2020 because it was good offensive line blocking and he knew how to read the line. And like, oh, I got to make this cut and I got to go around that guy, you know, and Travis Dye is sort of of that, you know, similar style and he thrives because the offensive line, you know, is good. And I think that Jerick Broussard is not doing as well as he did in 2020 because of his offensive line problems. And like, that's the contrast between where Oregon and mm-hmm. Colorado is right now. It's not really about the backs. It's about the line. 
Zooming out nationally, Oregon has, I would consider also a pretty, I think their worst unit on offense is the receivers. I would, just, it, it, would you agree the pass catchers is, is probably the worst? Boy, that's a tough question. Um, I, no, I guess, the worst guess, unit is the, the worst unit yeah, is the quarterback. Like, say, yeah. um, you know, the, the quarterback makes the wide receivers look bad. Boy, I can tell you, I, I have got poor, like Devin Williams, the USC transfer. Like yeah. I've got clip after clip of that guy just wide open and waving <laughs> his arms because he's just burnt the, the cornerback. Um, no, it's a really talented wide receiver room. The quarterback's okay. not making them look that way. I, yeah, that, that's my take. Okay. Oh, I, I, well, from prior years, it seemed to be that was the biggest issue um, going, I, I guess, all the way back, even maybe the Vernon Adams season. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, I would agree with that. Okay. Up, up until like a year or two ago, wide receiver right. was definitely the big problem at Oregon. But like our Mario Cristobal put an emphasis on recruiting wide receivers, and, and he did. Like, yeah, it's okay. a lot of talent in that room. The guy I always love watching, is it Johnny Johnson? Is that his real yeah. name? Yeah, yeah. I always like watching Johnny Yeah, Johnson. there's a Johnny Johnson and there's a safety, starting safety named Steve Stevens. So I don't know what's <laughs> going on with work. Yeah, Johnny Johnson's fun because like he's, you know, if you look at the star levels, he's the least talented dude in the room. But mm-hmm. he's also that like, I'm sure you've seen them in your career of watching college football. The like, he's the vet. He's like the sixth year player. Like yeah. he's the he's the the weight room guy too. Like he's got these huge guns. I love watching it. Um, and, and like, yeah, no, he's he's fun to watch. But like, if you put him on a speed trial against anybody else in that wide receiver room, I mean, I'm not kidding. Literally every other he person loses. in that wide receiver room is faster than Johnny Johnson is. Yeah. So for CU fans, the names to know, he just mentioned, I think all of them, Devin Williams, Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, I think is, is one of the yeah. speedster guys. Yeah. I, he's also fun. He's a slot player. Yeah. Um, and I'm, uh, I, that's the, all the names I know off the top of my head. You're probably also going to see Micah Pittman rotating Micah Pittman, um, yeah. with Jalen Red in the slot. You're probably going to see um, Chris Hudson uh, rotating at Z receiver. Okay. Um and uh, we've been seeing more and more of the true freshman four-star um, Troy Franklin. Um, he got a lot of play in the UCLA game. But okay, that's probably as deep into the wide receiver room as they'll go. Yeah, and we know CJ Fredell is already out for the year, which is unfortunate. Right. So Travis Dye is back in there. Who is yeah, brothers been, with Troy Dye? Is that right? That is correct. Okay. Younger brother. Okay. Yes, we do. I think yeah, Troy Dye was fun to watch too. That guy was great. He Travis has been getting like almost all of the carries, but they've also been playing one of the freshmen, um, Byron Cardwell. Um, and there's a couple other dudes too. Uh, it's a, it, it is a fairly deep running back room, but not uh, outside of Travis Stein, not a very experienced one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I think, I guess I wasn't even imagining the quarterback as a position group, but you're right. I think yeah, that sure. would probably be where Oregon's, I mean, I don't know anyone who listens to national podcasts, like the solid verbal who has an Oregon fan on there, they'll tell you the same thing. I think for national aspirations, maybe playoff aspirations, Anthony Brown is going to be the, the stopping point or the releasing yeah. point. Yeah. For, he's the, I mean, he's the bottleneck. Go. Yeah, definitely. Bottleneck. That's a better way to put the it. other one that's interesting is the, uh, is the tight ends. Like I, I, I just making fun of Colorado's tight ends and like, and, and I'm doing so from a position of snobbery because like, boy, I like Oregon's tight ends. Is they Spencer have two- Webb still there. Spencer Webb is still there, but you know, what's funny is that he's been, he's sort of been getting eclipsed by the two true freshman four stars mm. who came in, um, Leaky Matavau and uh, Terrence Ferguson, um, who like all three of those guys have like almost identical body builds. And so I really have to squint to like, tell which one is in on the play. Mm-hmm. They're, they're in 11 personnel on virtually every now. Um, and like, 
boy, it is it is rare to see one true freshman tight end playing that well. And Oregon has two, plus they have Spencer Webb, plus they have the converted defensive end, DJ Johnson, who's just like this, yeah. like, like these monster block. Like you just love, like he's not a great blocker. I, th- I think he's a good blocker, not a great one. But what he really is, is he loves blocking. Like that is a dude who enjoys hitting people. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I, I bring this up again, not to like, l- let me tell you about how much talent Oregon has been. <laughs> So excited. I mean, I guess, frankly, that is a little bit of it, but like, uh, but like in Joe Moorhead scheme, the tight end is absolutely essential. And you might not pick that out from looking at the box scores because it's not a ton of targets for them, but like yeah, just the nature of the RPO, like, in, like one of Oregon's bread and butter plays is an RPO triple option where the quarterback either hands the ball off to the running back or he keeps it himself. And then he has to make a second read. And the second read is whether or not he continues keeping it and running it. Or if the DB is coming off of the slicing tight end to, to come onto him, then he's supposed to toss it to the tight end. And uh, most of the time DBs have been covering the tight end. So he doesn't do that. And that's why you see a ton of Anthony Brown carries and not a ton of tight end throws. But let me tell you, if you screw that up, and don't cover the tight end like mm-hmm. Oregon, like they torched Ohio State on that one a couple of times. Um, and yeah, there it it is a you know the, yeah the tight end is essential to this offense. Don't neglect the tight end. Right, and I I, I don't think that'll be an issue for CU. Um, we we talk a lot about the offensive side of the ball for them, but I think. I mean, just ignore that matchup for a while. I think CU will either get blanked or score maybe single-digit points. Um, But if you go to the other side, that should be at least fun to watch for a while, Uh, Oregon's offense versus CU's defense. And um, I I, I think CU's actually kind of well-positioned to match up with Oregon. I don't think their defensive line will win the battle against the offensive line necessarily, but that definitely is a strength for CU. Um, so I'm excited to watch Mustafa Johnson back again against this line, as well as Terrence Lang and Jalen Sami. I think they'll do okay. Um, and no Nate Lamb and Hurts. That's going to be tough. Um, I think that'll lead to some some bigger plays for Oregon, but I also don't think it'll be a complete blowout. Um, you know, the the essential ahead. one is a uh, number 26. Um, uh, uh, Wells, Wells, right? Yeah. The uh, what I can tell you why Cal was as effective as they were is because Cal, as I'm sure you observed, had a really good offense. Well, a couple of really good offensive lines. Uh, excuse me, not offensive linemen, outside linebackers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cam Good and Marcus um, Bimage. Yeah. Um, Bimage was a transfer from Texas. Kind of came out of nowhere, but like I really like that guy for Cal. Anyway, like if you want to contain the RPO offense, you have to get good outside linebacker play, and mm-hmm. um, and I really like Wells. Um, and I, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so I think that's an advantage for Colorado. Yeah. I, I mean, he's, he came on a little bit last year. He had a nice year as, as you might've heard, he led the country in tackles for loss per game. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, you know, semi weird just because the per game stats are so different across the different leagues. This series definitely stabilized that and been a nice consistent presence despite having his hand in the dirt, hand in the dirt a few series or games which is um yeah it's it's great to see and him him and nate lamon are roommates and it's going to be tough to move oh, cool. both of them next year um so i i think if you're going to watch this game which i god help you see you fans for watching this game um we appreciate it but watch that side of the ball at least or his office versus cu's defense i'm excited to see some of that i think micah pitt pitman will be able to win some one-on-ones absolutely on the outside just because of his size um but I expect that to be a little bit more evenly matched. I don't know if CU somehow can turn Anthony Brown over a few times. Um, those would be some nice field goals. 
uh yeah i i mean i i am interested to see because it's like the thing that i that i I have not been able to get whether or not Colorado has a good defensive back group for three years running now. Like I keep for 2019, 2020, and now in 2021, I am still on the fence about whether or not, like, I think, you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of like, I watch them on some plays like Christian Gonzalez, you know, I'm just like, wow, this guy's pretty good. And then Mm -hmm. other plays are just like, dude, you look lost. Um, and, And I don't know whether or not that's, you know, they sorted, you know, with Chris Wilson being promoted, like the schemes changed a little bit, although not as much as I was expecting. I was really actually kind of stunned when I put on the Colorado tape because mm-hmm. I remember you and I talking about like Chris Wilson wants to switch this to a 4-3 and we saw a bunch of 4-3 in the spring game and then it's sort of like oh no it's back to a 3-4 you know mm-hmm. you know the you know bare front to ILBs like uh that was sort of like Ooh. well the, so let me take that's just real quick interject on that go, that is a good do. example of um well, at least one coach at, at Colorado adapting what he wants to do versus what he can do with the personnel. And I, I think if he had his way, he'd have more four down linemen. But I think mm-hmm. he realizes at this point, especially with the injuries to some of those flex guys, like Robert Barnes has been in and out of the injuries uh, room all year. And some of those guys that they were wanting to let them flex a bit um, haven't worked out that way. So they've, they've gone back to what they know. Um which is good because that that allows the players to play faster and do all these things. And um, I don't know, you'd think that make it to both sides. But right now, that, that's why the defense is at 3-4 because he's adapting to the personnel. I mean, I mean, good, good for him. Like I, I honestly, I didn't think it was going to happen and then it did. I, uh, yeah. But anyway, I, I sort of like, I don't, I feel like I don't, I still don't have a good grasp on how Colorado's DBs play. Um, mm-hmm. And like, you know, the defense is often put behind the eight ball by the, um, by the offense. So like, you know, that Absolutely. like, well, it, it means that, that for large portions of games that Colorado plays, the, the offense is just the opposing offense is just running the ball. And it's like, it's kind of difficult to figure out if the DBs are any good, if you know, all they're doing is playing and run support, you know? Um, I, yeah, no, I, 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 I genuinely don't know what to expect out of Colorado's DBs. It's actually the biggest open question for me. Yeah, um, you know, and they're starting to rotate a lot more on that side of the ball as well, youth movement-wise. Um, I think this this year they've recognized is going to be a more rebuilding year than they expected, so you're going to mm-hmm. see a lot of freshman DBs as well. Um, Christian Gonzalez is only a sophomore, and he's, like you said, up and down, but we still really like his potential. Makai Blackman as a, a senior is fun to watch, um, and you'll see Tyron Taylor, two freshmen, out there quite a bit. Nigel Bethel was just hurt out for the year. So you'll see Trevor Woods Mm. step up from time to time in that nickel spot. Who's a true freshman safety. I really, really like. Um, And then nickels got to be good against Jim Moorhead's offense. Like there's so much there. There's so many stress plays that he engineers. And like the victim of that is the nickel. nickel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I would expect once again the Oregon to win it out, but it'll be a, it'll t- be a tougher fight than on the offensive side of the ball. Um, absolutely, I think that's correct. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it would <laughs> so with the state of Colorado's offense, it would hard be conclude otherwise. My score prediction is uh, going to be thirty-five nothing Oregon, which is I would be crazy to expect a shutout, but it's already happened this year, and I don't expect it to be easier to face Oregon than it was to face Minnesota. Um, a fun stat for you before you make your score prediction is that CU has played seven games this year. They have not allowed more than 35 points in a game this year, and yet they've lost by more than 21 points four times. Um, so with that being said, 
uh, feel free to give us your score prediction for the Oregon game. Uh, I'm going to go with 42-7. 42-7. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I th- uh, or- Oregon, I don't know. They're, they're just not. The defense is it has enough eh, to it that they'll they'll give up something. Um, I mean, it's interesting because the Oregon Deruder, the the defensive coordinator, is clearly a counter puncher. Like he 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 gets stronger in the second halves of games. Mm. Um, and where they've been really vulnerable has been uh, like the scripted opening drive. Like Cal, both Cal and um, UCLA had really good scripted opening drives that just or Oregon's defense got humiliated. And like, but on the other hand, I don't know if Shivarini is. <laughs> you know, well, you know, I think you know where that transition. sentence ends. Yeah. So this is a great transition because this is the other thing I wanted to have you on for. Um, you're obviously, I think, one of the, the most informed football fans I've seen out there, especially for Pac-12 matters um and yeah shiverini is in general i think what you just said is uh, you know that's a good description um and based off of what we're hearing from brian howell who's the intrepid beat writer for the boulder daily camera it sounds like it would be a complete shock if shiverini was back next year that is i I don't understand why he's like does he have naked pictures of colorado's ad (laughs) or something like like you can't get rid of this guy I don't get it quite either. I know there are people who love him uh, and in the champion center. Um, and it's, it's, I think they find it harder to give up on a player that played at CU, um, which is probably the reason why I would say I'd be fine. Never hiring an alum ever again, um, because you right. get stuff like, well, this. I think Darren Hagan is a pretty good, like, I mean, he led Colorado national yeah. championship and he's a great coach. Yeah, and I, I I don't think Hagen's ever going to leave Boulder, which is nice. He provides great RB coaching on the cheap, which is fantastic. Um, the the issue comes when you have split loyalties like this. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think Hagen's performance has ever come into question. I think you'd be insane not to question Severine's performance, and I don't even know if there is a question. It's just bad. So, you know, 130th in offense to see you this year. Severine is not going to be retained next year. Um so I guess I don't know exactly where we want to go with this, but let's just start with what I think we both want to see from CU moving forward, which is more of that 2020 offense. I think we both agree there's room for a more smash-mouthy team in the Pac-12 South. I think CU is well-positioned to be that team in terms of recruiting area, in terms of uh, altitude, just good to let you lean on folks, um, and in terms of what they want to do. So I guess it, assuming shiverini has gone, the offensive line coach is already gone. I'm not asking for names or anything. I can provide some of those, but in terms of like schemes, I mean, is it as simple as see you just doing the power run, get the trap, get the pole, and then make sure you run those and you'll be successful. Like, what do you want to see out of CU uh, next year? If they were to, to be successful, you know, I, I'm not sure if the answer isn't already on the staff in Danny mm-hmm. Lansdorf, like, you know, question he, as well. He ran, you know, he, I mean, it's sort of a question of how much it was him and how much it was Mike Riley at Oregon State. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that that I, I think that that type what I remember of Oregon State's offense during that the Riley Langsdorf years is that mm-hmm. feels like it's a good mesh for Colorado's personnel if the offensive line issues can be fixed. I mean, like I was saying earlier, I don't think any of these questions matter if the offensive right. line isn't fixed. Like I am of the opinion that there I, there are lots of people who disagree with me on this. So, you know, don't. As, uh, yeah, I will igno- I acknowledge the fact that people disagree with me on this, but it is my opinion that 
there is no such thing as an offense that that works without a successful offensive line and 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 trying to find an offensive court like it, like if you say to yourselves well let's just give up on the offensive line and find ourselves a coordinator who'll make the offense sing even right. though they suck up front i think that is a fool's errand and you shouldn't do it i think the first like before you you hire the offensive coordinator should be the offensive line coach hire to like you have to figure that out like and then you know this, this that is my opinion um and and then from there but I, I agree with you i think that colorado like this when i look at the colorado skill talent profile and what they seem to be successful at recruiting and what i know of carl Durrell and his preferences and that sort of like creates a a restriction on what type of offenses you could potentially run like yeah i sort of like you know langsdorf for somebody like them who wants to run a pro style mm-hmm. you know offense um but who isn't you know bad at it like i i guess that's what you know what we saw in 2020 is that like because i remember jack when you and i were talking about when when Darrell was hired yes i remember that you and i were we were well ahead of the rest of the media in predicting exactly what the offense would be and we predicted it for 2020 and it was successful and i like i was popping champagne corks for my brilliance and i i mm-hmm. think you were like surprised <laughs> i don't know why but like i just yeah, don't we, remember what i say i it just immediately yeah. leaves my mouth oh, i just forget about fair it enough. so maybe I was uh, like, well, awesome. well for uh, for <laughs> for vanity reasons i go back and listen to those podcasts and mm-hmm. so i was just like jack you nailed it man anyway um yeah like i, I don't I, I don't think this we we talk all the time about scheme versus execution. That that yeah. is also a division that happens with the play caller. Like the play caller, the, the offensive coordinator can design an offense that would work and then not be a good at executing in terms of play calling. Like he's right. calling the wrong things on third down, or he's not aware of the game situation, or you know, or, or like what he's you know he's not doing in game analytics to determine like okay, stop calling that play. It's not working. You know that sort right. of stuff. Like that. That's what I think. I, I, I am less, if I were a Colorado fan, I'd be less worried about like, oh, this is the wrong scheme for Colorado and more like shivering is not calling the right plays within that scheme. And if you right. just had a dude who was like smarter at this or something like it, like mm-hmm. I, and the offensive line was fixed. Like I said, I sort of, I think that that's like 60 to 70% of the problem. Like, but assuming that that is, and, and, and again, I don't know why it collapsed. So therefore I, you can't ask me like, why, how, how would it be fixed? Like beats the hell out right. of me. Um, but if we can take as axiomatic, the offensive line is competent then, and then you got to solve the scheme question. Like, yeah, I sort of think a pro style offense that's simply being called by mm-hmm. a not, dummy is is the answer like i wouldn't go air raid you know what i'm saying like right like i don't think there's a call for like some you know super dramatic offensive you know style change you know uh i just you know just shivering is not i mean that it's the third down play calling that's just so distressing like it's just like it's so bad. Like, I, I, and I, I mean, agree. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll keep, you know, and not like you're not doing a good job at it, but I'll keep tooting my horn. Like you remember Bush Hamden at, at the university of Washington. I do. Uh, so the Washington's history is, you know, Chris Peterson arrives. He has Jonathan Smith, who's his offensive, you know, coordinator. Right. And 
And, and I like Smith's scheme, and I like the way that Smith called plays. Washington fans, for some reason, didn't care for it. They had a hard time figuring out that Jake Browning was the bottleneck there and not the offensive coordinator. Anyway, Smith goes back to Oregon State. I think that we can all appreciate that he's a pretty good coach and a pretty good play caller, right? Yes. Like You don't have to be doing a ton of film study to pick that up, although I can tell you from doing a bunch of film study, he's so good. Oh, his offenses <laughs> are just beautiful. Just yeah. like I love watching former his Former Colorado offensive coordinator Brian Lindgren and former quarterback Sam Neuer both over there I'm not jealous but so but what you saw at Washington was that the dude who replaced Jonathan Smith was Bush Hamden but you know what Bush Hamden didn't bring in the Bush Hamden offense he was running the same flipping offense and frankly John John Donovan is running a very very similar there actually are a couple of structural differences but it's still it's a very similar offense and like what I'm saying is that like yeah, for Washington and the personnel that they get, like the Jonathan Smith slash Bush Hamden slash John Donovan offense can work, mm-hmm. but you have to have a competent play caller. And what I was seeing with Bush Hampton, and I called it two years before he got fired, that he was going to get fired, was that like it you it is evident on third down. Third down is where play callers, you know, make their money, you know, or where they prove their metal. And like one of the reasons why I really like Joe Moorhead, like I don't know, let me pull up the, the stats for the Oregon five for seven on third down. Uh, mm. I think they, I think they were 60% against Ohio state on third down. Like that's third down is where play callers make their money. And it's where, if you have consistent problems, it's evidence of a bad, you know, play caller, not even necessarily a bad scheme. And it's what I saw with Bush Hamden. And I believe it's what I'm seeing with Shiverini. Um, right. And uh, to your point, Langsdorf has had plenty of experience there. Um, it's also baffling to me why they haven't tried him calling plays. Uh, I feel like the bye week was a perfect time to make that switch because, mm. you know, it, I, I don't want it's not an easy separation between Mel Tucker's staff and Carl Durrell's staff. But uh, Langsdorf is a guy that Durrell brought in after Jay Johnson left to go with Mel Tucker at Michigan State. And I, I assumed that Darrell would want to, to bring him up to speed, that, that they are more in sync with each other. Um, so I don't quite know why that switch wasn't made yet. It kind of mirrors the Chris Wilson thing. Ex- I mean, exactly if you're right. right. No, you're exactly right. Where, where Darrell a, brought him in and yeah, position but then he, and, yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it's shocking to me. Also, Langsdorf had some had some OC experience with um, Taylor Martinez in Nebraska, I believe, when Mike Riley was – I think he was with Mike Riley for those years as well, and Tommy Armstrong. Uh, yeah, um, I think so. So I, I think Tommy Armstrong is actually a pretty good – and this is not meant to be a slight to Brendan Lewis, but a pretty good analog for what Brendan Lewis could be, at least in a freshman year. Um, I th- yeah, and- I, I actually did film study on, on Tommy Armstrong because Oregon played Nebraska when he was there, and mm-hmm. I got to be pretty familiar with him. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that's a misplaced comparison at all. So I, I, I thought that would be a natural fit, and it, it, they haven't done that yet. Maybe they're trying to give him the full year. I think, you know, Shiverini, as you mentioned, for some reason is a golden child in the Champion Center. Um, mm-hmm. So they're giving him as many chances as possible to fail. Well, what, did, what do you think about him as a wide receivers coach? Because I know that was previously his, his well, thing. Well, so it's, it's been a long, hard fall for him. So two years ago, uh, at, under Mel Tucker's staff, when Jay Johnson was offensive coordinator, Darren Shiverini was still recruiting, and that was really what he was really good at. Um, that's how he won the hearts of CU fans when he came mm-hmm. in. Um, so at the time, CU was not recruiting well under Mike McIntyre. Shiverini went to Texas, got in some guys right away, got a guy named Juwan Winfrey right away. He was solid, and that's what he was known for. Um, ever since he's become an offensive coordinator, right or wrong, he has not put the same um, 
effort into those recruiting efforts and it hasn't shown. So he, he's mm-hmm. not adding the um, recruiting value. He's not calling plays at all. Well, as, as you can see, and I don't think the wide receivers necessarily is by having a wide receiver coach as an NFL, uh, as a, an NFL wide receiver coach as a head coach, plus Shiverini. I don't think the wide receivers are like crazy good. We don't really know because they are not given the ball in any situation to make themselves successful. Well, really. yeah, because the pocket collapses instantly. Like, how right. would you know if Colorado has good wide receivers? If you didn't, <laughs> exactly. like, I think they do. I think we have evidence of that from other data points. But like, if you didn't have access to those, how would you even know? Right. <laughs> so it, it's at the end of the day, it's I would much prefer for my mental health that it's a clean break. We just say no 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 you are not allowed at CU at all you are not coming back um and and that way we can just move forward completely with whatever the next step is you know what I'd prefer is that the, the new OC can make whoever the hires he wants at those positions I think Shiverini might would be a good wide receiver coach at a, at a power five school just in terms of recruiting I think he did a pretty good job uh coaching blocking so I I, I don't think he's bad in that arena but for my sanity, I don't think CU should keep him there. Well, yeah, well, if that is the, our guiding star, then you will definitely be driven insane because I can 100% see Carl Durrell making this sort of like, you know, what a quiet, elegant move. We'll just switch the titles. You know, Langsdorf will now be the play caller and Shivering will now be the wide receivers coach and nobody has to lose their job and it'll all be just fine. Like, oh, man, come on. You know that. Well, the so I, I agree with you. But the other thing is, I mean, I'm not saying one... that would necessarily be the best solution, but like it seems a very Carl Durrell type of solution, you know? So I, I would agree with you on on. on optics what what i we think of him but I, I will say the one thing that gives me hope for the carl Durrell era to at least rebound to mediocre is that he, he has shown an ability to make quick decisions on staffing he doesn't think will work and i think higher above value replacements um i think chris wilson was a good hire at dc even though he was in-house i think that was a good idea um i think mark smith at lb coach was the same thing and this frankly the strength coach replacement from from drew wilson to shannon turley is the best hire we've seen a cu coach make in quite some time um so I think that's the one thing that gives me hope. And that's actually kind of run counter to what we both, what I would also expect Carl Durrell to do, which is the graceful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, firing an offensive line coach midseason is not necessarily graceful, especially when you come out and say, I relieved him of his duties. Like I did this. I was not okay with this. Um, that's pretty targeted at, at yeah, saying that's pretty that, bold. Yeah. So I, I, in, I mean, it's different because he coached Shiverini too in college. So it's, He'll probably give him every opportunity to to resign gracefully or go back, but I would hope not. Um, Man, I had forgotten that that's where Shannon Turley wound up. That's did, yes, yeah. I, I don't suppose you, you ever got any inside scuttle button why he was let go of, at Stanford as a result of <laughs> uh, there's some rumors, but I, I'll you know I'll I'll save it for not the airwaves. Yeah, all right. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll leave this podcast. One more thing I want from you, and I'll I'll go after you. If there's one name you think CU could hire at offensive coordinator, assume perfect world, blank slate, no staff. So we could get this guy at whatever salary. Who should CU get at their offensive coordinator? Jonathan Smith. Okay. Well, okay. Let's go. Let's backtrack. Out of currently not head coaches in the power five level. You, you told me I could guy? pick anybody. No, that's my fault. Um, so let's let's go with at least power five offensive coordinators. Who should see you go after? But they can steal any offensive coordinator yeah. they want. 
a good uh, example would be maybe Brad Bedell from uh, Baylor as an example of someone who, uh, someone in that arena, you know, of gettable. Uh, Regario from uh, Wake Forest. Yes, that would be awesome. The claw fence would be great to bring back. Yeah. For the fans who don't know, it's, it's super fun. It's kind of like an old school, I don't even know, weird RPO style. Uh, it's it's they're, they're the team with that super long uh mesh yeah they just kind of fake handoff handoff for like half a second while they're waiting it's like three seconds long it's crazy yeah yep sam hartman's a great quarterback that'd be super fun um yeah so let me uh, I'll, I'll throw you some names that i think i would love to see my white whale i actually uh, had him as a dark horse for my hot board in 2019 for head coach back when he was a hotter name and I'd love to see him still back in Boulder. My white whale is um, Chip Long, an offensive coordinator. That's not a bad one. Oregon was thinking about hiring Chip Long um, <laughs> when they were uh, when Marcus Royal left for UNLV. Yes, Chip Long for for fans who don't know is is was a former Notre Dame offensive coordinator. Uh, he was at Notre Dame from 2017 to 2019. After before that, he was at Memphis for a year, and before that, he was Arizona State's recruiting coordinator and tight ends coach for three years. Um, still a young guy. He's at Tulane right now. And similar to CU, the offensive line there is so atrociously bad that it, it they're calling good stuff. And they, they had a great offensive game plan against Oklahoma, but they just cannot string drives together. Um, anyways, he runs a really fun offense, uh, I think, of, of still RPO. And if you remember that Ian Book crazy year, that that's what mm-hmm. I keep thinking would fit really well at CU, where they're still running – pretty heavily there's some design QB runs. There's some not design QB runs, heavy tight end involvement, um, which is always super fun for me. And he does this really weird blocking stuff up front. I don't know if you know anything about that, Um, but it's something called G scheme. Yeah. um, Which is basically like an option running scheme, but with like I formation or pistol stuff. Mm -hmm. So you kind of block in three different ways. So there's three different alleys for a running back to go. And it's, it's, super crazy and, and something that I think it's hard for people to prepare for. Um, and he, he does tempo. Sometimes he doesn't do tempo. Sometimes I don't know. He just seems like a, a guy who's still kind of young. Um, rumors are he was fired at Notre Dame because he didn't get along with Brian Kelly and anyone who doesn't get along with Brian Kelly is a friend of mine. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I would love to see chip long come in here and, and, kind of run that weird RPO power. Yeah. I did a little work offense. on Chip Long when, when uh, you know, the ball was up in the air in terms of who Oregon would hire as offensive mm-hmm. coordinator. And I, I, I agree with you. I think it'd be a good fit. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's something I, these are the things I, I now look forward to is just looking to offensive coordinators. I don't know. You're going to see Matt Wells show up for a bunch of these lists now that he was fired from Texas tech. Mm-hmm. Um, so Anyways, yeah, that's that's what I'm looking forward to is next year, and I'm, I'm doing pie-in-the-sky stuff. But at the very least, I think Langsdorf would be an upgrade. Um, and, you know, for Saturday's game, none of this matters because Shiverini is still calling the plays as far as we know. So, uh, would that be ahead. fun? Uh, I don't know. Like, I, you know, games like this are – as an Oregon fan, one of the things that I really enjoy about them, like I, I'm, I promise I'm not trying to be like a, a jerk about Colorado or anything, but like the, for me, the really fun stuff is like the second half when they start putting in, you know, the kiddos. Yeah. Um, because like, I, I don't know, I like some of these kids and I get to watch good film on them. And like, I will, I am especially interested because I think you're right, Colorado. I, I like their defense. I like Chris Wilson. I sort of think he's the higher of the year and, and a big surprise for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like I really want to see Oregon's 
I think that will actually be fun football to watch. Like that you won't just want to like turn off the game. Like right. Oregon's talented but totally inexperienced like freshman versus Colorado's pretty good defense could actually be like put the scoreboard aside, like could actually be pretty fun to watch. Um, and I, I'm actually genuinely looking forward to it. Yeah. I, I mean, Moorhead to me is always fun to watch on offense, even if it doesn't work because it's of, you know, some throws or crazy things, but like you mentioned, he always just puts pressure in the right points and, and it's, it's uh, aspirational, I guess, to watch this year. So um, yeah, I, I don't expect CU to have any success on offense, but still it should be a, a fun chess match on that side of the ball as Colorado and Oregon this Saturday uh, at, at one thirty mountain. And thank you so much today for coming on and, and talking great talking a bunch to you. of stuff. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Saturday one. 1 30 p.m thanks for coming on and i believe uh i i, I will return the favor so we will be yeah. chatting uh, about that it. game all right take care everybody <laughs>